You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. No red cards for us. We're pressing on with episode 94 of your number one sports podcast favourite, Null and Void. As ever, we've got a whole host of sports stories, contacts, particularly on our views on Dear Gary Lineker, and an absolute cracker of a get a grip. But after all of that, before delighting you with our special guest, who's actually chairman of a semi-professional football club, who's doing great work in their local community. More of that later. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, on Saturday, I was at the Brentford uh, versus Leicester game. And this was my first visit to the community stadium. I really enjoyed the people the setup and their hospitality. Just to remind you, dear listener, I uh, won two tickets in a raffle created by Null and Void good friend Simon Cowlard in his massive fundraising uh, opportunity for Myeloma UK. That's the incurable blood cancer that Simon himself is fighting and has been over this last year. Incidentally, he's just finished his major uh, raft of treatment. So well done, Simon. I took uh, John Peacock along with me, friend of Null and Void again, but a lifelong Bees fan. And he met a couple of the Brentford legends there who were on our table with their wives at lunchtime. So John was beside himself with that. But thank you to Mike Sullivan, the legends manager at Brentford, for organising it so well on the day. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. So Andy, uh, you were Watching rugby, Six Nations, but not watching England? What's that all about? Uh, I couldn't bring myself to do it after the team that Steve Borwick, as I'll call him, if he's uh, picking that sort of side every week, after the team that Steve Borwick had picked, I just couldn't bring myself to uh, put myself through the pain for a second week running. I was uh, having a very lovely weekend over with my mum and brother in Oxfordshire for Mother's Day, and I didn't want to ruin it by uh, watching England get beaten by... Ireland for two reasons. A, I, I hate seeing them lose, and B, I cannot stand seeing Johnny Sexton happy. So the two of them combined meant that I just uh, I voted with my feet. I watched the other two games. I thought the Scotland-Italy game was brilliant, and then it's obviously always good to see Wales lose. So um, with those two games, they were enjoyable, but then I switched off, voted with my feet, and went and did something completely different. You chickened out there, definitely, definitely. But anyway, each to their own. I can understand that sympathy because I watched only half of the game previously when they got done by 50 points and I switched it off because I thought, I don't need this. So I can empathise and sympathise with you. Okay, on the football front, uh, the men's and women's game was dominated by quarterfinals of the respective FA Cups. On the men's side, uh, Manchester City brushed... Uh, Burnley aside, 6-0. And that man, Harlan, scored another hat-trick after getting five in the week in the Champions League for City. No wonder uh, Billy Carr last week was waxing lyrical about him. He's brilliant. Uh, Brighton powered past Division 1 Grimsby, perhaps not surprisingly, but it was 5-0. And Sheffield United just edged past Blackburn Rovers, 3-2. In the tie I watched... Manchester United beat Fulham 3-1, but only after Fulham had imploded, having uh, a player sent off for using his hand to stop on the goal line a certain goal. Football rules state quite clearly that that is deemed foul play and a red card must be awarded. Their manager was less than chucked and he lost his cool and went toward the referee as the referee was looking at the VR incident. So he was sent off. Then if it wasn't enough, their six foot five striker, Mitrovic, who I wouldn't argue with, to be honest, the size of him, (laughs) verbally abused the referee and then got him by the shoulder. And that was another red card. Could be a long uh, spell of suspension for him. We don't know yet. But the result of all of that was, bearing in mind United were 1-0 down at this point, was United had a penalty. Fernandez scored it, made it one all. Two minutes later, with Fulham, of course, down to nine men, 
United went two and up and eventually won three one. Talk about self destruct. Nine men and their manager off down the tunnel. And you know, you think about those Fulham fans that travelled close on three hundred miles. Mm. They had problems because there were no rail. You know, it was a rail strike, um, and there were problems on the M M six. What a bad day for them. Um, so the result of all of that is United face Brighton at Wembley in the semi, uh, and City play Sheffield United. At this stage, the idea of a Manchester City Manchester United final is, of course, a possibility. And that's never happened before, a final between those two in either the League Cup or the FA Cup. Oh, wow. So that would be quite something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, in the Fulham game, I, I was watching that. And yeah, they just, as you say, imploded, I think is the uh, is the right word. Just absolutely lost their marbles in a couple of minutes of madness. I mean, the first penalty, I absolutely, you and I talked about it when we were uh, getting ready for the show. Totally agree. It is a penalty under the way the laws are written. I think it's it's very tough on a player because, you know, yes. he's there and he's actually made the effort to pull his arm into his body and yeah. away from it. But under the letter of the law, now we could say that the law is an ass, but under the letter of the law, then, you know, it was the right call. It was a penalty. It was a red card. But then after that, it just descended into chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, utter madness. But then if you want to talk about utter madness in football, that would normally have taken the cake. But this weekend, then in the Premier League, um, we had a manager going one step further, didn't we? In what was, I think, up there with one of the top three or four best things I've ever seen in terms of post. Uh, I mean, it, talk about comical. It, it was hilarious. You know, I I don't think he left anybody out in his criticism, in fairness, uh, <laughs> but he slagged the players off and said that they uh, were, what was it, selfish. Uh, they weren't a team. And basically, Spurs for 20 years have won nothing. So, in other words, Daniel Levy, that's a, a dig at you, mate, because they haven't won a trophy. Um, I, yeah, I don't think he left anybody. I think he, he, apart from talking about the car park attendant, he, he had to go at everybody. And I just think for our listeners who may not have seen it, that was a Spurs manager Antonio Conte after they'd given away a two-goal lead to end up drawing with Southampton. And yeah, um, I think. As you said, Tony, it's probably the longest ever resignation speech given before someone gets the sack. Uh, yeah, I think, to be honest, and we'll be talking to a football club chairman a bit later. You, at some point, you're left with no option whatsoever. And I think even by the time this podcast goes out, I think he may be, well, he is already back in Italy because there's an international break on. Uh, he'll stay there. But that's just personal view. On the- I mean, I, I'd rate it up there. The the best ones I've seen in terms of manager meltdowns is right yeah. up there with Kevin Keegan's I'll love yeah. it if we beat them, love it. Right up there with Rafa Benitez's fat. Um, and right up there with Jose Mourinho's three times, three times. Yeah. Uh, it's right up there with all of those. It was, it was, you're watching it with your jaw on the floor going, what's he doing? <laughs> If ever there was something rehearsed, he was going to say it at some stage, and that was obviously a brilliant opportunity. So um, the only thing he didn't have in front of him was a script. But anyway, um, on the basis that we're always politically correct on this uh, podcast, Roy Hodgson, on the basis of getting people back into work in retirement, um, has been appointed, reappointed as Crystal Palace manager till the end of the season. Good luck, Roy. He's 75 years old. There's hope for us all yet. Oh, just a whippersnapper then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, following government guidelines. Um, on the WSL side, the draws for the semi-finals has been made. We'll come to that in a second. At the weekend, in the quarterfinals, Manchester United ladies won at Lewis. Uh, Aston Villa surprisingly beat Manchester City 2-1. Chelsea beat Reading and Brighton beat Birmingham. So that draw for the semi-finals has been made. And it's an interesting one. Villa will face holders Chelsea at Villa. The game is being played. Manchester United are at home and facing Brighton. So that actually means the men are playing Brighton in the semi-finals and the women 
are playing Brighton ah. in the finals. I don't know what the odds on that would have been, but that's what's happening. So uh, good stuff, eh? Uh, just finally, I, I, I don't know if we want to get the odds. We could always ask Ivan Tony. Yeah, indeed, he, he, he'll get a bet on for us. But yeah, um, the international break is on. Uh, amazingly, we've got qualifiers for 2024 Euros tournament being played this week. England face a tough trip to Italy, then a home match against Ukraine. Scotland, similar way, play Cyprus, but then a tough one against Spain. Uh, Wales play Croatia and then Latvia. And finally, Northern Ireland plays San Marino and then Finland. We'll give you the updates next week. Now, Andy, Rugby Union, you've got quite a bit on that, really, including every retirement. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we'll start off. It was the final weekend of the Six Nations that we've talked about, and Ireland did secure their Grand Slam over England with a 29-16 win. Uh, they never really looked threatened, and although a late try by England maybe puts a bit of glitter on the poop, um, I think there was clear blue water between the two sides. How, having said that, the Freddie Stewart red card in the first half that was never, ever a red that Jaco Piper pulled from his pocket. If we're giving red cards for those sort of things, then we may as well just pack up the whole shebang and play touch rugby from now on. There was no way for Stewart to avoid Hugo Keenan. Um, unsurprisingly, RTE, the Irish television company, had every angle in slow motion, um, unlike when James Lowe's try was given against France and they held back the coverage. But um, Stewart's trying to pull out of that tackle. Keenan has dipped into his elbow in trying to pick up a bouncing ball. You know, and it's just, there's I, I can't see how they've come to the decision that that's anything other than a rugby incident, as I think the terminology was coined um, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, you know, fans are paying 100 to 200 pounds for a ticket now to watch these games. And seeing a match that's ruined after 10, 20, 30 minutes by decisions by guys who've not actually played the game at any decent level. I think there's only one referee on the international panel at the moment. I could be wrong, but the only one I think on the international panel who's played top flight rugby was um, Carl Dixon, the English referee who used to play scrum half for Harlequins. So, but. To the victor, the spoils. You know, Ireland were the world number ones going into the uh, championships and they stay the world number one now, having secured the Six Nations crown, the Grand Slam for beating all the other teams and the Triple Crown for beating England, Wales and Scotland. They also picked up at the weekend the Millennium Trophy, which is the cup that's played for between England and Ireland every year. So uh, I'd not Blocked that one when I uh, when I was watching the game until then, but uh, basically I think it it, it's, it shows that they're them and France are way ahead of everyone else in the Six Nations Championships. So it'll be interesting now how Ireland, who normally revel under that underdog sort of title, actually cope with the pressure going into the World Cup in September of being one of the hot favourites. So um, I'm predicting that as ever they'll go out at the quarterfinals. So watch this space. Right. Okay. So France, what, else? what else? Yeah, France beat Wales 41-28 to round off their campaign. And then Scotland were clinging on to a 19-14 lead against Italy and looking like they might undo what had been a really good campaign for them with a, a loss to a very good Italy side before in the final minute a break from their own line. All Scotland needed to do was just kick it off the pitch and the game's done and dusted. But no, this Scotland side don't like to uh, leave their supporters with, um, with without their hearts in their mouths. So Scotland actually ran from behind their own line right up the other end of the field to score as the clock went red and ended up winning it, taking the bonus point and a 26-14 win. So um, that, for me, was the epic game of the weekend. Italy played some great rugby. Scotland played some good rugby. It was real end-to-end -end stuff. And right up to the final whistle, we didn't know who was going to come out as the winners. So a cracker there. And likewise, in domestic uh, game, there was the um, Premier uh, Premier Rugby Cup, which I guess would be rugby's equivalent to the League Cup. 
And yeah. often it's played through the international windows so that teams blood some of their reserves, some of their younger players, some of their less experienced. Um, Exeter beat London Irish in extra time to win that one 24-20, having been losing with about seven or eight minutes left in normal time, scored a try to bring it to 17-all, and then in extra time ended up winning 24-20. So Exeter take the first domestic cup of the season. Excellent. In the retirement. So <coughs> the women's six nations starting this weekend, England captain and number eight, Sarah Hunter, has announced that the game against Scotland on Saturday will be her last game for the Red Roses. She retires as England's most capped player, either men or, men or women, with, at the moment, 140 caps. She was the first game for the Red Roses back in 2007 and has gone on in the subsequent 16 years to win nine Grand Slams, playing three World Cup finals, and then winning the World Cup in Paris in 2014. She's been the captain of the team for the last eight years, and it's an absolutely awesome career. When she started, England women were amateurs, probably playing in front of a couple of hundred people. Now they're full-time professionals, and being watched, the game against France at the end of this tournament is being played at Twickenham and will likely have a crowd of over 45,000 people. And yeah. it's been right at the heart of that transformation over the last eight, nine years. People yeah. always talk about leaving the jersey in a better place than you inherited it, about making the badge a bit bigger and the flame a bit brighter before you hand it on. And Sarah Hunter has definitely done that in her career. Brilliant. Do you want to do rugby league before you do your next retirement? Not your retirement, but somebody else's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah big announcement. Null and void fans. No. Yeah. Um, uh, so Warrington and Catalans kept up their unbeaten start to the season, beating Lee and Hull Kingston Rovers, respectively. Leeds, my Rhinos, lost to Castleford in a close game on Thursday night. Well, Wigan-edged Huddersfield um, and the reigning champions, St Helens, got their campaign back on track with a 20 points to 12 win over Hull. And this week also saw the start of the wheelchair rugby league season with England's World Cup winners back in action. So Wigan shocked the reigning champions Halifax, winning 59-45. Uh, the Rhinos beat Warrington 118 to 12. <laughs> the London Roosters beat, what, what a great name, I love that, the London Roosters Beat Hull 64-42. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, hockey under retirement. A big name again. Yeah. So another big name um, hanging up her boots um, today was the England and Great Britain goalkeeper, Maddie Hinch. She's announced her retirement after 15 years of international hockey and 186 appearances for England and Great Britain. Like Hunter, Hinch has climbed to the top of the mountain in her sport, as none who saw it will ever forget that shootout in the Rio Olympics where Hinch saved all four of the Netherlands' efforts, helping Great Britain take the gold medal. She was then also part of the team that won the bronze in Tokyo last year, or two years ago now. Uh, for England, she'd won silver and bronze in the 2014 and 2018 Commonwealth Games, and then in front of a home crowd last summer in Birmingham, she got the fairy tale ending and completed the set, winning England's first ever women's hockey gold against Australia's hockey roots. So I think for both Maddie Hinch and Sarah Hunter, legend is a word that is absolutely bandied around far too often in sport. But for those two, I don't think it even seems anywhere near enough. So yeah, Maddie Hinch, an absolute hockey legend, and Sarah Hunter, a rugby great. And both of them definitely, after what 16 and 15 years at the top, respectively, definitely deserve to take a break in that retirement. OK, <clears throat> brilliant. Well, I've got netball next. And I like to do an update on the Super League. And with both Surrey Storm and Manchester Thunder now on 18 points, Loughborough, Lightning and London Pulse are both on 15. Those top four teams are well ahead 
of the rest of the division. So watch carefully on that. There's a winner somewhere in there and champions are there from last season. Manchester Thunder are definitely pressing Surrey Storm. Um, Now, again, last week I was saying I didn't expect to say Andy talk about hurling, and you did. And I didn't expect to say Andy talk about Gaelic football. What's that all with no hurling to watch on Sunday, I decided to keep expanding my exploration of the Irish sports. And I think it's only right, really, being descended from the Kings of Munster as a Callaghan, I think it's right that I do explore these Gaelic games. And I watched, um, now I'm going to get in trouble here because some would call it London Derry and others would call it Derry. I'll let you take your pick, depending on um, which side of the fence or wall you sit on there. But uh, Londonderry beat Clare in the Gaelic football with the Oak Leaves um, just being too strong for Clare and winning 0-14 to 0-4. Again, um, the scoring is quite complicated. They play on a pitch very similar to a hurling pitch. In fact, with rugby sticks with a goal net at the bottom. So three points for getting the ball in the net and one point for getting it over the sticks. It's a really fast-tempoed sport with bouts of violence thrown in and definitely some tough characters on the park. My mum walked in and watched a bit of it, and then an hour or so later I was watching the um, Brighton Grimsby football, and she said, oh, this seems a lot slower than the Gaelic football. <laughs> yeah. athletes in there. I mean, I remember my first few weeks at uni, and the guy next door to me in halls was from Northern Ireland and had played Gaelic football. So Quinny, as we knew him decided to play for our Halls team in the inter-department league at rugby. He'd never played rugby before. So as his mate, I was told to look after him. At the first line out, the opposition prop just stepped across slightly and bang, Quinny's just knuckled him and knocked him absolutely spark out. I looked at him and said, Quinny, what are you doing? And he just smiled and said, Getting my retaliation in first, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) And that seemed to be the approach that he took um, then playing rugby for the rest of that year. Um, And it it had been one that he brought over from his Gaelic football days. So, uh, yeah, getting his retaliation in first. So, yeah, there was a little bit of that in the game um, between Derry London, Derry and Clare. But obviously as top flight players, but they are amateurs. It's unpaid. But as top flight players, they uh, maybe kept their discipline a little bit more than Quinny managed to. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. That's another first on uh, Null and Void. Um, F1 Saudi Grand Prix was won by Red Bull. Well, that might not surprise you, but it was actually Sergio Perez who beat Max Verstappen, his Red Bull colleague. So at the moment, Red Bull are just way ahead of everybody else. Verstappen had actually had to start at 15th in the grid because of having a mechanical mechanical problem in uh, the pre-qualification. I said no one seems to be anywhere near them. Now, Andy, I know you're going to be talking cricket later, but what about the women's IPL? Yeah, it's coming to a conclusion and we've had some cracking games this week. So uh, Delhi Capitals became the first team to confirm their place in the final after a five-wicket win over UP Warriors. Um, And this win meant that Delhi actually took top place from the Mumbai Indians on net run rate. Uh, Mumbai had won their game earlier in the day, but had taken quite a while to chase down. I think they'd taken 16 overs to chase down quite a low score of 126, 130. And that meant that they then missed out on net run rate. So, um, yeah, uh, Delhi Capitals are into the final. Um, great performance by England all-rounder Alice Capsey in that game, who took three for 26 in her four overs and then scored 34 runs off 31 balls. But there is a second bite of the cherry for both the Warriors and Mumbai Indians because they play in an eliminator on Friday to decide who goes through to the final on Sunday to play against Delhi. So, um, yeah, we've got uh, two cracking games coming up you know that eliminator i think will be a really hard fought game is my prediction and then the final you know that's is basically one of the top team are playing the uh second and third place teams um so whoever wins that one so uh 
yeah, I think overall you're going to have an absolute belting two games left to decide who the inaugural winners of the women's IPL are. And I think it's great testament to both the what the work that the IPL has done in transforming the uh, limited overs game, that they've been the first tournament to, or first franchise to have a 20 over women's uh, tournament. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I've got contacts next. Um, have you got any? I've got three. Have you got any? Uh, no, I'll, I'll uh, bow to your three. Okay. Well, uh, Mike Dinsdale said, he said, I've known you for many years, Tony, but I didn't know you had five lawns. <laughs> that came from me saying I started demossing the first of five lawns. So I'm a five lawn man as far as Mike's concerned. So I Yeah, you were the one talking about the champagne socialists last <laughs> week. I sat there as Lord Five Lawns. Interestingly, Mike, who's got an opinion about just about everything, said he didn't want to be quoted on the uh, Gary Lineker thing. Too divisive, he said. Hmm. Um, John Peacock, on the other hand, said, and it just comes to me now that I think people have had enough of this, but um, when pressed, he said he was retaining his right to be neutral and would be sitting on the fence. I do hope it's comfortable for you, John. Yeah, uh, but out for the splin splinters in your bum if you're sitting on the fence, John. <laughs> exactly. The, the one headline I will leave you with on um, is John Humphreys over the weekend. Don't know whether it's Times or Telegraph, but anyway, um, he wrote a, a very good article, I thought, uh, but the headline itself did it all for me. He said, Gary Lineker is a monster of the BBC make making. Totally agree, John. Should we call it quits on that? Yeah, yeah so. I'll, I'll let you have the last word on that because whatever <laughs> I try and say, you'll have the last word on it. But uh, yeah, I think we'll agree to disagree on that one and move on. Okay, and what we do move on is you and ranting on Get a Grip about cricket. What is yeah. that all about? Well, big concern. So with an Ashes summer on the horizon... And England looking to put right the embarrassment they suffered down under last winter. You would think that the captain, coach and ECB, England Cricket Board, uh, would be painstakingly ensuring they give themselves the best chance of winning the series in June and July. Australia's captain, Pat Cummings, Cummings sorry, is sitting at home with his feet up after a long winter and a really tough series against India that they've just played. Meanwhile, England's captain, Ben Stokes, who's currently trying to rehab a chronic injury to his left knee, which limited him to bowling just two overs in England's defeat to New Zealand in Wellington and restricted his batting. You know, Stokes is someone who can absolutely wallop a ball. When he hits a ball, it stays hit. And, uh, you know, he was struggling clearly, both bowling and batting in the current series. He's today flying out to Chennai to play for the Super Kings in the IPL. Now, quite why the England skipper feels the need to prioritise this smash fest over rest and recuperation ahead of the Ashes is anyone's guess, although maybe the 1.6 million quid that he's being paid to do that might have swayed his thinking somewhat. Um, he goes with the ECB's blessing with them saying that they'll work with Chennai and Stokes to, and I quote, manage his workload and the injury. And again, quite how they propose to do that from 5,000 miles away when they're in London, not 100% sure. So I think it's virtually impossible to manage a chronic knee injury while still playing top-level professional sport. But then what do I know? I'm not the England captain. But to me, the whole trip, seems to be the height of stupidity at this point when we want our captain fit and ready for an Ashes summer and, and what's going to be a tough year. And then potentially he's still talking about making a comeback into the 50 overside for the World Cup in India later this year. So if you want him for the Ashes in the World Cup, I think you'd, you'd be having a conversation about maybe miss out on the 1.6 million quid this year, Ben. But so I, what I would say is to Ben Stokes and the ECB, if you want to get a hold of the urn this summer, 
then you need to get a grip. If you want to get a grip of the trophy, yeah. <laughs> so get a grip. You're quite right. Well said, that man. Now, moving on to our guest tonight. Uh, I said before, a chairman of a, a semi-professional football club, I think a first on Null and Void in that mm-hmm. sense. A good friend of mine, Sam Miller, suggested I speak to our guest tonight. I said a couple of weeks ago in response to that, that I'd love to get him on as a guest on Null and Void. Now, that led to a phone call and a conversation with the chairman of a non-league semi-professional team called Langley FC in the Combined Counties Division 1. So please join me in saying hello to their chairman, Daryl Saunders. Daryl, welcome to Null and Void. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me and the invites. Uh, Nice to be here. I was nodding along to everything you were just talking about, so <laughs> probably yeah, good so I was on good yeah. I was on mute. <laughs> yeah. You can't incriminate yourself if you're on yeah, mute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we do our legalese, so we keep you on mute. But anyway, um, Daryl, I say welcome. How are you doing? I mean, um, my first question would be, you're chairman of, uh, of Langley FC. Why are you... <laughs> Chairman, um, what's brought that about? What's the link for you? Um, so I've always been a football fan, um, and I always said as a young kid, like if I ever won the lottery, I would have bought a football club. I always, always enjoyed the behind the scenes side, and it was always one of the things. You know, if you win the lottery, what would you do? And I, I we used to live in South London, so it was always Sutton United was always my target if I won the lottery. Right, that was always like the vision. But you just say it as one of those things, isn't it? And then um, I met Chris Smith, who's a co-owner with me, who does the kind of football side. And he was leaving a football club himself. And, you know, he hadn't really had the best time there with the owner. And he said to me, he's like, why don't we do it ourselves? And I was like, I mean, is, is it that easy? You know, like for a start. So for about 18 months, we had this discussion and we looked around and we thought about maybe starting our own, but... You know, that that takes quite a lot of work. And then while we was away, I was on holiday with uh, friends who also on the board, who owned the club with me. Uh, Chris found Langley and sent it all forward. And we had a look and, you know, as I say, I'm from certain parts of South London. So it was the town, the area, the story of Langley, like being such a family club, you know, started as a pub team. And so it just it just felt like the right thing to do, you know, when we just uh, we took that step into the unknown, as they say. So, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was just meeting of people and opportunities and timings really more than anything. And I think a little boyhood dream that you can't really pass up if you've got the opportunity. You know? mm. So, I mean, you, you say that so Chris looks after some of the football side, Daryl. So yep. what's your, what's, what are your key roles? If I were to look at it and say, what are the key things that you have to do um, from your side of, of the club? On Spend a money. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, but... yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no. So as I say, like the, the main thing for me, I've always found that football is quite a universal get together like when you first meet someone one of the first questions you ask them is what football team they support it's a, like an icebreaker whether they're a football fan or not it's it's a question that you know would be an icebreaker um and so i was i'm interested in using that as a base to help more community side that's that's me i'm i'm looking to make an academy we're trying to sort out with the council about some space that they have to you know, take over the booking contracts of the pitches and redo a changing room for a community centre. So it's that side. The youth side of it is more what I want to focus on. But you can't help but get drugged in, sucked into the other <laughs> side, can you? <laughs> Football's like that. It's weird. The first game I went to, first league game I went to, um, I said to one of the owners with me, I was like, I wasn't ready for how I would feel. Like I'm a Charlton supporter by heart. But this was like a different sport. It felt very personal, you know, like when I watch Langley, it feels very personal. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been um, it's been quite eye opening on that one. Well, I guess you've you've actually got skin in the game here. I mean, I know as much as we all love our teams that we've supported from boyhood, you know, you as a Charlton fan, Mm. Tony as a Manchester United fan, um, one of the very few Manchester United fans who actually comes from Manchester 
and then myself as a Newcastle fan. And but as you say, you know, we all support, but at the end of the day, if they win or lose, you know, yeah, we might be grumpy for the weekend, Tony grumpy for the week, but um actually, you know, that's it. But you've you've invested here in mm. terms of both, you know, time, money, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, so it's literally. a lot more personal. Yeah, and it's that and but it's it's also really like fulfilling. We're doing really well. You know, we've had a really good season. You know, we're pushing automatic promotion playoffs, which, you know, once you get up to like step fives and fours, you know, it's when you start to have maybe one eye on, can we get to the conference? You know, yeah, it, it would be it would be the dream to be able to take them all the way, you know. Much following on from what the the guys before me had uh, had set up, you know, because Langley have been promoted like seven times in 12 years, which is what mm-hmm. sort of pulled us in because they were... You know, they had a bit of a rocket put to them. Um, so we're just trying, hoping that we can put something around that. You know, we didn't need to do too much to the first team, which was, I think, helpful for us. I, I'd imagine some other places that have taken on teams. We didn't have to do a lot. I mean, we've got some ideas now that we've spent a season on what we want the club to look like now from a board level, now that we understand a bit more about the football. Um, but it was more the underneath, you know, we mm. wanted to, wanted to, put the club because they play at Slough's ground. So we're hoping to get Langley their sort of own ground, put them back in the center of Langley, get this community center up and running and just give like, it was very noticeable talking to the supporters, how much that club means to them. They all tell, they've all told me stories of the pub that this team started at the for Phillips family that started it, how they'd all meet on the, on the, in the park on a Saturday and have a good laugh. And so it was that that really drew me in. And I want to get that back, but maybe on, on a more professional level, you know, they're they're obviously doing well. They've got a good team. And if we can um, get the right people involved, I think we can skyrocket them really fast, you know. So what's, when, when you talk about the community centre, <clears throat> can you flesh that out a little bit in terms of what's going to be contained there? Who's it going to be for? And how is that going to involve the broader community than just those that are into football? Yes. Yeah, so when they when the council t- uh, they so they they took the original owner's pub um, to turn it into like flats and stuff, you know, as councils do. And part of the deal was there was some old changing room centre in the park that they played. Um, obviously, there's been back and forth with some of them thinking they should get it for free, and then the council. So I stepped in. I was like, look, I've got no personal interest in this. If money's the issue, we want to take it on. So. We're getting a 25-year lease of the changing rooms. And I want to turn it into, yes, it will be a hub for Langley, but I want to put like a boxing ring in there. I want to put netball in there. I want to put like a little cafe and maybe watch the football. Because when I went down to the train youth training sessions, I see all the parents just sitting on the grass and, you know, standing under umbrellas. And the changing rooms are right there. So the idea is, is if I could turn it into something that maybe during the day, the council and the job center can use, you know, like just something for the community for, I want Langley football to feel like everyone can come and do something. You know, I want to put some cricket nets up behind it. But as I said, like, I feel that football is quite universal. So it's a good centerpiece. And then I can do other stuff around it, you know, and that's what I want that community center to feel like. Yes. The youth team will train there on the evenings, but maybe in the day I can put on coffee mornings. We can do trading sessions, computer t- learning, you know, anything, you know. And that's that's why I want that commu- that park to feel like is that anyone can come, you know, just to keep Langley busy, really. Give them something. I guess you've got um, <clears throat> in Langley, I, I know the area well, having used to work in Slough, you have got, you know, you, you're surrounded by some quite wealthy areas and towns with Windsor just across the river and everything. But then in itself, you know, the sort of area has maybe had a lack of investment historically. And, you know, you've got quite a a diverse population in Langley. So somewhere that people could all come together, I think, you know, that's going to give, give a real focus there. Um, Do you find that you're sort of, you know, fighting against um, that issue of maybe the the haves surrounding the area and uh, so that inequality into yeah, the, how this you know is is very clear divides from like where Kidderminster Park is one side of the street 
is amazing and then the other side of the street are all at food banks and they're literally next to each other almost you know so there is quite there is that but the park is right in the middle so my thought is as long as it is welcoming to all you know i don't want to make it uh you know it can only be one type of person hopefully we can we can start to bridge that gap but yes there's very clear because there's there's nothing for them to do like the football club is up in slough which i know is only 10 minutes up the road but Langley, uh, they look like very proud people. You know, they're a very close community for such a big town. Everybody knows everybody, you know. So if I can put something in the centre of it for them all, then hopefully we can start to stop that divide. Mm-hmm. So, Dala, when you when you get up in the morning, obviously your mind's full of the day ahead. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of top of your list, if you were saying, I would love today to come into contact with this individual who would have this amount of money, uh, what sort of individual is that? And what sort of money are you actually looking for if that really is going to push things forward? So I think, obviously, I want to turn it into community centre. So I'm, I'm looking, we're looking for a football brain, a guy that knows football, but I would guess it's like the community side of football. You know, I want to start the women's team next year and I want like the business end of football and someone to really help like push the project on. I mean, I think, you know, through grants and stuff, we can, we can get quite a lot because obviously being an ex council building, there are a lot of doors open, but I would think that we're probably pushing to the 7,500,000 pound mark. Um, But we would need a, a football brain, but you know, it's that the community side of it. You know, there's a lot of, I've spoken, you know, to, two or three people this last year season alone to join in and their motivations are not for the community. You know, the motivation was clout and how quick they can get their money back. And while obviously money will be made if we're running it properly, uh, it's the, 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 uh, the, you know, we are a step 16, you know, so there has to be the realist, the realistic approach, but it's the community aspect, but a football brain, because, you know, I wasn't a football guy. This is just an opportunity of me remembering what I wanted to do when I was 11, you know? Um, so a football brain, but a business football brain would be like the, the perfect man. <laughs> okay, so that hasn't happened yet. But no. So would you, would you assess the time you've been doing this uh, as being pretty good, very good, or excellent? I mean, you're bound to have setbacks. But where would you put yourself on the sort of Richter scale, a sort of naught to ten so far? Well, it's been very good in in ways of reaching out with like Langley College, Slabara Council. They that's been really good. That's been top end and haven't really had much setbacks. I know Slough, you know, the council were struggling a bit, you know, trying to get hold of someone has been slow. But they've been when I've got hold of the person, it's it's been quite a quick process to get the changing room sorted and then they came to me about taking on the booking contract for the pitches, you know, so that's been really good. I think some of the people I've met maybe have seen an opportunity of a guy that doesn't know football too much. So, you know, like, but I think I've learned quickly who, what, how that works. And I think that's probably not been so great. So as I say, it was when I spoke to Sam and he pointed me in your direction, it was nice to actually (laughs) talk to someone that, kind of got the football idea like the community idea behind it you know because i we can do football stuff like on the pitch we're doing great like i get that but it's the behind the scenes that i need to get my ducks in a row and we do need help you know i'm not naive enough to think i'm the finished article as a chairman and that's why you know we needed to reach out to guys like yourselves to maybe point us in the right direction yeah well i I hope we can definitely do that but are you would, on that sort of Richter scale thing, are you are you a five or a six on the naught to ten thing? Would you say so far? I mean, probably yeah, about there. About I'd like to push a six, but I'm probably realistically a five. In, okay. in my well, head, I'd probably say six, but I think realistically, <laughs> when you look, I'm half halfway through what I wanted to achieve this season. Like I was maybe on my own fault. I sort of pushed, expected more. Um, maybe not understanding how the inner workings of football work, which has been a bit eye-opening at times. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd probably like to think I'm a six, but realistically, we're probably half a job that I wanted to get done this season. 
And in terms of the the overall vision, Daryl, I think it, it, it sounds great. What's the sort of time scale that you would, you know, I guess two time scales. What's the time scale you would love to achieve this in? And then what's a realistic time scale for achieving this dream that, you know, when you could then stand there and look at it and go, yeah, we've got everything in place that we set out to do. So I'd like to think like within, so it's a fight. The five year plan really was to make sure that the park was set up and that maybe we was pushing for conference football. I'd like yeah. to think that we could, if we got the park and academy and youth teams all going like I wanted to, I'd like to think that we could be pushing for conference football, the promotion every other year, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's not as achievable, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of luck when you're low down, but, and then I think 10 years, I'd like to be in a position where I could approach Slough Council to put Langley Stadium on the park. Mm. That's that was that's what I want, mm-hmm. and I think ten years for that overall is probably more realistic. Um, I'd like to be a lot further down the line after five years, but I think it's one of them where ten years is realistic. But then I'll review it at five, and maybe that realistic picture has changed. But I'd like to think finding the right people, and the community are so into the football club because of the family history and their you know. The guy run the pub there in the center of ta- in the center of Langley for years and years, so they they've got a lot of loyalty already. And I think with that kind of loyalty and the right kind of brains, I feel that ten years could be quite realistic. Mm. Fantastic. I mean, you're obviously, you know, the go-to man as far as the club's concerned in terms of that vision, and that sounds really exciting. As you say, it's a massive step forward from where you are, but yeah. unless you have that vision, it's never ever going to happen. So this this uh, uh, podcast goes out to 38 countries across the, the world, and you never know who's listening. You never know. You, never so know. Hope, you know, and we'll send you clearly the link to this, and you send it to whoever you think might want to hear the story in a different way. I'm sure yep. you've told it many times. I think sometimes when you remind people and people hear it in a different context, that can help you. But, you know, we, we last week, I think it was, we added Israel to the list uh, It was of downloads. And who knows? We never know where these people are when they download them. Yeah. But we, yeah. you never know. That can't do any harm in being on this podcast. Would you exactly. do me the favour of saying you will come back and talk and update us as we go along? Darren? Anytime. Yep. Now, now you've, uh, now you've, now I've got your number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, talking about numbers in that there, Daryl. Um, <laughs> If somebody is listening to this and, you know, thinks that they can support and offer that that insight, that knowledge, that investment that you're looking for, what would be the best way that they can get in touch with you? Uh, Tony's got my number, my email. Um, There's the the Langley website. You'll have all the contact details there. Um, There's many ways. Yeah. If anyone, uh, even like, as I say, we, we would also take the knowledge obviously the money makes things go quicker and we are looking for for partners to help get it done but the football knowledge is also so we're also open to conversations so don't be afraid even if you sit there go oh i'd love that but i haven't got the money call me anyway yeah because uh, i quite happily i'm trying to meet as many football people as i can to try and you know get this uh, project running because i was brought up I love the IAC system, you know, under sixes to under 18s, sell on the first team and bring them through. And that's what I want to do at Langley. That's the long-term dream. If I was to sum it down, I want to get that park up and running and making good Langley players, you know, Matty Fantastic. Cash can't be the most famous guy out of Slough. <laughs> <laughs> make, make, make sure you, um, you know, that you do keep us in contact. And obviously, yeah, the next thing is in football terms, Get that automatic promotion. Get yep. yourself further up the uh, up the line. But do keep us informed of any progress you're making. We'll Absolutely. send you this link. It goes out on a Thursday up on Spotify. But we'll send you the link. You spread it wherever you feel it might be relevant. And let's us all hope that the right person is listening to this yep. podcast on Thursday night when it goes out. Dara, we really appreciate the time. I can quite see why people have warmed to your thinking. <laughs> For Langley, yeah. your enthusiasm comes screaming through. 
And I know that you will have had all sorts of setbacks, but you've obviously persevered in a way that says, yeah, you're going to be successful. And null and void, wish you all the best with that. And really thank you for your time tonight, mate. No, I really appreciate you having me and uh, giving me a space to get the message out there. Cheers, Mark. See you Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Now, that was lovely hearing from Daryl uh, Saunders. As I said, it was Sam Miller who introduced me to him. And it, I think anybody hearing that, whether you're into football or not, would understand the enthusiasm, the effort and the vision that's being created there. So uh, lovely hearing from Daryl. We're bound to hear more. We'll make sure we follow the progress of Langley FC. Mm-hmm. That made a really nice guest spot. You enjoyed, Andy? Really, yeah. And I, I mean, it's great to hear that, you know, obviously all of us, as Daryl said right at the start, we've all had the dream maybe of what I'd do if I were um, the chairman or owned a football club. But the fact that he's not just looking at the football side, yes, you know, that's an important and the, the sort of central core of the club, but actually so much more for the community, the local community than just a football club. I know that anyone who absolutely loves Langley would probably say to me, what do you mean just a football club? But actually it's so much more than that, that, you know, I think that's really, really great. Yeah. So that was, that was a nice guest spot, a nice episode. And again, terrific range of sports we covered again tonight. It just, they just keep coming and coming, don't they? It's lovely. The story. Yeah, nine sports covered tonight. So, uh, and we didn't even get to mention um, the horse racing. And I am going to, after your very cruel and hurtful words, <laughs> punditry, um, as we finished up last week, I am going to uh, say that I finished the week very well up. Not well up enough to invest 100K in a football club, but uh, <laughs> yeah, very well up. I took a few, a few shekels off Mr. Hill. This week with Cheltenham, including backing the winner of the Gold Cup. So, uh, oh, all yeah. right, right, impressive, mate, impressive. So, yes. coffees are on you next time we're together. Yeah, <laughs> I think I can stretch to a small an, an espresso. Yeah, <laughs> good, good man. Enjoyed these sports stories. Really enjoyed Daryl Saunders and Langley FC. That's a great story. We're mm. going to follow it. We are going to follow it. Okay. Make sure you're with us next week at a similar time that suits you and a place that suits you, whether it's Israel, Saudi Arabia, whatever. We're we're there with you. We love your company. Tell us what you think about what we've been saying. Uh, Get in contact with us. The contact details are there at the end of the podcast. Make sure you're with us on a weekly basis, as you're doing on such a regular basis now. We love that. Okay, so we'll see you next week at a similar time and place. See you later. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.